Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. I want to continue with our service by introing our speaker today. Uh, Dr. Michael Caparelli is a behavioral scientist. He's a ordained minister with the Assemblies of God, close friend of Pastor Paul's. Would you welcome him as he comes to the stage? Good morning. This church is so rich in theology. You've got some great minds here that have really studied the scriptures. Your pastor, I've known him for 28 years. He was a part of my uh, discipleship. I was part of his wedding. I remember him and Diana getting married. He's been a good friend, somebody I trust so much. I don't know of anybody that knows uh, the history, the culture of Israel better than he does. But not just Pastor Paul. You've got guys like David Hodge uh, that are here, that are teachers at North Point. I mean, this Ben Phillips, this church is just so saturated in the scriptures. What a good place to be, amen? Well, I'm, I'm a pleasure to be here. Um, I am here a couple of times a year. I travel with a ministry known as Unmuted. Unmuted is about giving victims of trauma their voices back. Um, I have a very specific interest in prisoners. I've worked in prison ministry for a couple of decades. Uh, God has opened a door over the last uh, 18 months, very unique opportunity. I have met with uh, David Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam, um, once known as the Son of Sam. He's now a son of God. Uh, back in the 1970s, he had gunned down 15 people in New York City. Uh, there's been documentaries on his life, uh, but since 1988, he's given his life to Christ. Currently, he disciples 15 or 16 guys in Shoregun Correctional Facility. He's 70 years old. Uh, God is using him mightily in the prison. In fact, I took your, I took your pastor to meet with David uh, just recently. Here's a picture of me, Pastor Paul, uh, and David. Uh, Pat, David got a real kick out of, out of Paul, I'll tell you that. Uh, he definitely he said, this guy's a riot. <laughs> but Paul is just so comfortable in any environment. He could just adapt in a second. I mean, Paul, you, you'd think we were in Paul's living room. We're in prison. And, uh, but it was a good visit. Uh, Paul got to see what I got to see over a course of 100 hours is that David Berkowitz, his conversion is the real deal. Um, in fact, uh, this case study, a case study that focused specifically on the mental health factors and the demonic influences behind the son of Sam, as well as his conversion, um, this case study will be available in book format in October. Please keep this in prayer. Did you receive a card when you walked in? Uh, it says Monster Mirror. You can go on that QR code. It'll lock you into a, a Facebook page that'll keep you updated. Uh, the book is called Monster Mirror because when I met with David, I was expecting to look into the eyes of a monster. Instead, I looked into a mirror. And if there's one finding of this case study that I can't shake, after 100 hours of listening to what was behind the son of Sam, is that there's a very fine line, maybe it's imaginary, between the population and the so-called psychopath. Anybody is capable of anything. Yeah. 
I think we need to get back to the biblical description of mankind. The heart of man is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Anybody is capable of anything. Did you hear that? But for the grace of God, so go I. In this book, I isolate nine particular themes uh, that have surfaced in the data, 100 hours of interviews, nine factors, and those factors are not unique. They're not exclusive to David Berkowitz. We think that there are such a thing as other people. There are no other people. That what happened with David can happen with anyone. There are 13 mass shootings a week in the United States of America, and families are always saying on the news broadcasts, I couldn't believe my son was capable of this. The truth is, any one of us, listen, providing the right circumstances, a sweet little old Catholic nun will hit you with a tire iron. Are you hearing me? I do have a couple of books for sale afterwards. You can see me. Uh, Pen Your Pain in the Parables is all about recovering from trauma through telling your testimony, something called narrative therapy. Dr. Jesus is, is actually the book that David Berkowitz read. It's the book which uh, inspired him to write me a letter and express his wish for me to meet with him and to tell his story. It's a book that deals with mental health factors from a biblical perspective. Surviving Feelings is targeting emotions. And then The Ox in the Ass is all about unhealthy, unequally yoked, unequally yoked relationships, the ox and the ass. You can see me for either one of these books, they're 20, uh, Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, but I do want to get right into the Word of God. I want to talk to you this morning on anger. In fact, anger obviously was one of the nine themes that surfaced in the 34 sessions in meeting with David Berkowitz. The Bible has a lot to say about anger because the Bible's the greatest psychology book ever written. I look into it, it looks into me. I read it, it reads me. How many have had the Bible read you? It reads you more than you read it. Open up to Ephesians chapter 4, very popular verse. I'm not one of those guys that bounces around a lot of places. I hug the text from which I preach. We're going to just camp out in this one area because there's so much here. Ephesians chapter 4. Hallelujah. Verse 26. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray for those here, Lord, that are angry. I pray today we would have anger, but anger would not have us. I pray today grudges would dissolve at the foot of the cross. Resentments would diminish. Lord, those that have come in with an irritable spirit, today set them free. Thank you for the imprecatory psalms. 14 or 15 psalms in the Bible where, God, where David expresses his anger. Thank you that your shoulders are broad enough to deal with whatever we feel. Some of us are angry today, Lord. In your presence, it's okay to not be okay. In this church, it is okay to not be okay. Let there be freedom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Can you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26, the apostle Paul says, be angry. Somebody say, be angry. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and give no opportunity or no place or no foothold to the devil. Somebody say, be angry, but sin not. You may be seated. Now, look, anger, I'm Italian. That's like my love language, all right? You know, the neighbors call the police. They show up at our house. They knock on the door. Any domestic violence going on in here? I said, no, we're having dinner. It's what we do. We yell. You, what were you yell? I was asking her to pass the Romano cheese. My, my wife's a little more mild-mannered than me. I go from zero to 100 pretty quickly. My doctor had me hooked up to machines. I, I suffered two heart attacks, the widow makeup being the second, and they were watching my blood for about two hours, my blood pressure, or two days. And he said, your blood pressure is perfect. He said, but when you get worked up, you go from zero to 100 in a second. How many have that kind of personality? Now, my wife, she's just very easygoing. I, I don't understand how she's able to, to deal with life so gracefully. I said, honey, I said, how do you deal with your anger? I never see you get upset. She said, look, are you going to think I'm crazy? It's real simple. When I want to vent, I simply wash the toilet bowl. I take a toothbrush. I wash the toilet bowl. It helps me feel better. I said, how does that work? She says, it's your toothbrush. That's not true, it's not true. She hates when I tell that story. She said, don't tell that story. She is sweet, though. It's just who she is. I'm spicy, she's sweet. I want you to notice in this passage, Paul begins by giving permission before he gives prohibition. He says, be angry. Now, I want to just stop right there. I want to look at the prefix before we even touch the suffix. I want to look at these first two words. Paul says, be angry. Somebody say, be angry. They're going to go home today. Your spouse is going to say, what did you hear preach? And you're going to say, the preacher said, be angry. You weren't expected to hear that in church, were you? But this is important because... Some of us grew up in families, in communities, neighborhoods, even churches, where it was taboo, unacceptable, not permissible to get angry. But the text says, be angry, but sin not. The sin is not in the emotion. The sin is in the motions. To get angry is human. To manage that anger is divine. To get angry, listen, anger is not the effects of Adam's sin. There are 27 verses in the Bible that say God gets angry. You bear a strong resemblance to your creator. You are made in his image. He gets angry. I get angry. 
Anger is not the effects of Adam's sin. It is affected by Adam's sin, but it is not the outcome of sin. It is the outcome of divine design. I'm not sorry for getting angry. And neither should you be sorry for being angry. Why do I say that? Because we are living in a politically correct culture where you've got to be nice all the time and you can't get angry. And look, this has been a problem in the church for a long time because we see anger as ungodly. We see it as unspiritual. But guess what? When we stuff that anger, anger goes inward and it turns to depression. Because impression without expression equals depression. And for some of us, it's not depression. For some of us, it turns into passive aggression. Don't let me go there. I'm going to pick on the church for a minute. Can I do that? I've been a churchman for 28 years. I've earned my right to say this. Christians can be the most passive, aggressive people on the planet. Why? Here's a behavioral science point of view. In any community where aggression is taboo, passive aggression rears its head. You see, in the streets, if I'm upset with you, it's real simple. I go up to you, I say, you got a problem? Let's go duke this outside. But if I'm upset with you in the church, I can't go up to pew number two and say, you got a problem? Let's go meet in the pastor's office. Can't do it. In the church, you got to be nice. you got to smile. But some of us are nice because we're nasty. And the nicer we are, the nastier we are. Passive aggression. Welcome to Northeast Christian Church. So full of Jesus. I mean, what I'm talking about. Well, you don't think Jesus dealt with this? He said to the religious, your hearts and your face is not on the same page. What you say with your lips and what's stewing and brewing in your heart are miles away. It's been a problem from day one. In any community where aggression is unacceptable, if we're angry, passive aggression raises its head. Passive aggression, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I get even with you without getting in trouble. I know how to get even without getting in trouble. Right? I buy you cheesecake, and I know you're lactose intolerant. <laughs> Passive aggression. This Christian stewardess at the airport, can I come and visit you? Is that all right? This Christian stewardess in the airport, she's Christian, full of Jesus. The passenger's so rude, he's swearing at her, yelling obscenities. He walks away, and this spectator says, how'd you deal with this guy? I mean, he's just so full of Jesus. She says, real simple. She said, he's on his way to Orlando. His bags are on their way to Chicago. <laughs> Passive aggression. Bible says be angry. We need expression. 
We need to express ourselves in the prayer closet. Sometimes we need to even express ourselves to one another. The Bible says if someone sins against you, go to them. We need to tell someone, look, what you did upset me. I'm a little ticked off right now. I'm not going to be nice when inside I'm brewing. You might have to be a little tough. Listen, we need to be emotionally healthy, not just spiritually healthy. In fact, you can't be spiritually strong, but emotionally suppressed. Anger needs expression. In fact, I would argue if Paul says be angry, there must be some advantage. There must be some benefit behind this emotion and the the neurotransmitters that God created in your brain, adrenaline, cortisol, dopamine, norepinephrine, the chemicals that flow while you're angry. Everything God makes has a purpose. There's a purpose behind anger. Uh, Isaac Newton's first law of motion is everything is in a state of inertia. Everything is asleep until something compels it or provokes it to act. When you're angry, you get provoked. The word in the Greek for anger is not iniquitous. It's morally neutral. This word, it means be provoked. How many have been been provoked? How many of you don't get anything done until you get provoked? Right? Something ticks you off, and now you get, you get busy. Something gets under your skin. You know, someone's not showing up for nursery. You get a little upset, and now you, you launch a campaign to raise up nursery workers. Be provoked. Because the value of being enraged is when you're enraged, you're engaged. There would be no headway in our society if somebody didn't get angry. Martin Luther was upset with the corruption of the Catholic Church when he nailed the 95 Theses to the wall in Wittenberg. David was upset with Goliath. He was not twinkling through the tulips when he said, who is this giant to come against the armies of God? Somebody said, be angry. But sin not. We love to see, we get nervous. We jump to the second part quick. I say, be angry. I go, but say not. We're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid. Well, if I give you permission to get angry, what is that going to look like? But if I don't give you permission to be angry, the anger goes inward. It turns to depression. If you don't have permission to be angry, it goes inward. It comes out as passive aggression. The Bible says, be angry but sin not. Am I helping somebody? David Berkowitz had no idea how to express this frustration. Six years old, he was lighting his toys on fire on the windowsill outside his apartment in the Bronx. When he was arrested at 24 by the Yonkers Police Department, 1977, this week, 46 years ago, they found a diary inside of his apartment where he had logged, documented 1,400 fires in the city of the Bronx. 1,400 fires. 
Fires with listed locations, times, places. NYPD verified that these fires were actual fires. David Berkowitz was upset. He was angry. He had no ability to express that anger. This morning, I pray that in Northeast Christian Church, it is okay to not be okay that there is freedom in this congregation, that you don't have to pretend to be upset when you're, up, when you're upset. I prayed this morning you would find a place in God and amongst the people of God to express what it is you feel. Now, the Bible warns of the motions. There's the emotion, but then there's the motions. There's the feeling of anger, but then there's the functioning, how you manage this particular anger. I want to talk to you for a minute about erosive anger, and I want to talk to you about explosive anger. Anger that erodes, anger that explodes. I believe it's hinted at right here in the verse. Paul says, don't let the sun go down. This was a popular phrase amongst the Greeks. They would use it in the business world, in the marketplace. What they meant by this was, if you're in the middle of a project, some endeavor, some undertaking, you look outside and you notice the sun is going down on that project, you take the project, you tuck it away for the next day. Paul's saying, when you get angry, don't tuck it away for the next day. I grew up in a day and age where you were told, suck it up. You don't like the way your kids treat you in school? Suck it up, buttercup. You don't like what we're serving for dinner? It's not a restaurant. Suck it up. But the more you suck it up, the more it eats you up. You tuck it away for the next day. The next day comes, you tuck it away again. You put it off. You keep putting off the hard conversations. You keep putting off the grudges. You keep amassing, stockpiling the grievances, the offenses. And over the course of time, what you suck up will eat you up. Erosive anger when it begins to erode the inside of who we are because we keep sucking it up and the more we suck it up, the more it eats us up. I'm going to know what I'm talking about. I think God asked the question to Cain. He's a good father. He knows when his child's upset. He says, Cain, why are you so angry? You think God's looking for information? He's all-knowing. He's not asking the question to find something out. He's asking the question for Cain to find something out. He's not looking for information. He's eliciting introspection. He's saying, Cain, look in. Why are you talk to me about this? Why are you so upset? Because if you don't look in, you're going to lash out. If you don't learn to look in and say, what is it that I'm upset about? Let me explore this. I can't ignore this. Quit ignoring the anger. Ignoring the anger is like ignoring the light on the dashboard that says the car is overheating. If you ignore that light and you keep driving, you're going to blow a gasket. I'm not, I'm not upset. No, I'm, I'm good. No, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just fine. Everything is just dandy. 
<laughs> All the lies we tell. Cain, why are you angry? Let's talk about this. Session number seven, David Berkowitz shows up. I knew he was upset. I could tell he was in bad headspace. I talk about it in one of the chapters. He walks in. Usually he's very fatherly. They call him Pastor Dave. He has great rapport with all the inmates and the guards. When he walks in, he usually stops here, chit-chats for a few. He, he touches base with this inmate. They all know him well. This time it's just a courtesy smile. He sits in the chair. Usually he sits in the chair like it's a Thanksgiving dinner. He settles into the chair. Now he's on the edge of the chair. He's in fight-flight mode. He's looking around. I could tell he's not, not well. I said, Dave, why, why are you so upset? I felt like God asking Cain, why are you so angry? He said, I don't want to talk about it. I could tell he's upset. I let it go, leave it alone for a few. He said, you know, you asked me that question. It reminds me of my therapist when I was about seven years old, the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I would see Mrs. Sosnoff. She was an old Jewish therapist. I'd see her because of my anger problems, and she'd ask me the question, David, why are you so angry? And I never knew how to answer the question. He said, I go in the back of the office. She had a big toy chest. She implemented a technique called play therapy. I'd look for some toys to play with. I'd find about five or six female figurines. I'd line them up against the wall, and I would shoot each of the figurines with a dart gun. Six, seven years old. And she'd ask, why are you so upset? And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even identify what it is I was upset about. I said, Dave, why, why are you upset today? Tell me what happened. He tells me the circumstance. He says, I was standing outside the infirmary right before the session began. He says, I'm waiting for my medication. And while I'm waiting for my medicine, he said, one of the other inmates shouts from across the room in front of 500 inmates. He says, David, he says, my girlfriend went on a website and you enlisted the most dangerous guy in New York. Congratulations, you're the son of Sam. And then he broke down in tears and he said, I was angry because I was ashamed. That at the core of the anger was shame. May I submit to you that anger, we know this from fMRIs, anger is a secondary emotion that kicks in like a defense mechanism to cover up a more vulnerable feeling. That's why it's gonna be explored. Some people, they get angry because they get ashamed. The second they're embarrassed, right away, if you embarrass them, they get angry quick. Why? We would rather be angry than be ashamed because being ashamed, you're vulnerable. Being angry, you're powerful. I'd rather feel powerful than feel vulnerable. So the anger covers up. It's a defense mechanism for more vulnerable emotions. You gotta peel the onion back, thank you. Somebody say, peel the onion back. They're plagiarizing your sayings here. Dave, why, why are you angry? I'm angry because I'm ashamed. Now, I don't know what your story is, but you, it might be fear. Some people, they get afraid the minute they're intimidated, the minute they feel overtaken, surrounded, besieged. The second they feel outnumbered, when they're afraid, they get angry. Other people, when they're guilty, when they know they did wrong, when they know that they are in the wrong, they're in trouble, the second they feel guilty, they get angry. These are difficult people to deal with because you confront them 
and you walk into the scenario and they're in the wrong and you leave like you're in the wrong. Yeah, how did that happen? How, why am I getting blamed right now? Blame's a cover-up for shame. But see, all these raw emotions that make us feel vulnerable, anger makes us feel powerful, they must be explored. Don't let the sun go down. Don't ignore it. Don't push it off to the next day. Don't say, I'll deal with this tomorrow because then tomorrow will come and another day will go by and you'll keep pushing it off. You'll keep sucking it up. And the more you suck it up, the more it eats you up. Am I talking to anybody in here? Now, there are two sayings I have in a pulpit. It's because I'm a clergyman, I say the Bible says. And because I'm a PhD in behavioral science, I say the data says. I always say the Bible says as a priority to what the data says. I told you what the Bible says. Now, let me tell you what the data says. University of London did a study, a study that authenticated this verse, that backed up this verse. They took two groups of people, group A, group B, they show both groups a picture, an image, something that would bother them, just some disturbing imagery. Group A, they gave a chance to talk about exactly what they felt. Group B, no opportunity to express their feelings over this upset image. 24 hours go by, the sun goes down. Somebody say, the sun goes down. They take group A, group B, they hook up their brains to an fMRI, they reintroduce the same picture from the day before, the same bothersome image. Group A, the only area that lit up in their brain was the amygdala, which is completely normal. The amygdala is where your emotions reside. Group B, no opportunity to express what they felt. Just a day later, every area in their brain lit up, including areas that have to do with habit formation. They went from a state of anger to a trait of anger. You don't deal with anger. You don't tell someone you're upset. You don't tell God you're upset. You don't admit it. You don't talk about it to some degree in prayer or in fellowship. However you're going to talk about it differs depending on the circumstance. One day, let the sun go down, and you go from a state of anger to now it's becoming an integral trait. You can get to a point where you wake up upset. Nothing even happened yet, and you're looking for a reason. How many know what I'm talking about? Give me a reason. Go ahead, I dare you. I'm done waiting. Give me a reason. Right? All you got to do is drive a little while in Massachusetts, and you'll see this. Just 15 minutes in traffic. I'm coming out of a side street. Now, granted, I'm a little too fast. I'm coming, but I catch myself. I'm just about to pull out to the side street without looking. I catch myself. Lady comes, she sees that I was about to. Not that I did, I was about to. What the? Whoa, I caught myself. She's looking for a reason. She woke up that morning upset. Are you hearing me? Why are you so angry? Anger is a light on the dashboard that says there's something broken under the hood. Look under the hood. What's going on under the hood? Somebody said, look under the hood. Anger is not to be ignored, it's to be explored. Now, if you're like me, and the way you fix the light on the dashboard is you take a nice family photograph and you put it over that light, 
fixed it. You are going to blow a gasket. Somebody say, don't blow a gasket. Am I helping anybody here? Erosive anger. You suck it up, you tuck it away. Listen, I believe that there are some hard conversations that maybe this week you need to have with someone. That you've been putting off the hard conversation for too long. Look, first, try to work it out with God. Sometimes you can work it out in the prayer closet. Sometimes your anger, you think you're angry at that person, but this is really all about you, and a few minutes of prayer could resolve the whole matter. Other times, you can't resolve it before God. You've got to get before the people of God. The Bible says that there are times when you bring your gift to the altar, you present your gift, and God says, I don't want your gift until you go work out the rift. you got some rift, and before you come and bring your gift, go resolve the rift. It's a healthy church. The, the New Testament is a picture of the healthy church, is that we resolve rifts. If there's a feud between your brother and you, you and your sister, that maybe this is the week I'm done putting it off, I need to go to that sister and say, look, I, we got to talk. I'm upset about some things. Don't put it off. Because the more you build up, amass, stockpile the grievances, the grudges, the offenses, the more walled in, the more distant, the more erosive, the more that anger begins to erode the inside, the more depressed. There are people in here depressed, and if we go to the root of the depression, it's anger that has gone inward for so long you become depressed, and now depression, you're attacking your own immune system. Let's talk explosive anger. Paul introduces a second word in the Greek. Now, the first word, be angry, morally neutral. It can go either way. The word is used for the negative sometimes. It's used for the positive. It just means be provoked. But this second term has a slant. This second term is more iniquitous. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Wrath is that lashing out. Wrath is that explosiveness. Wrath is that I'm going to get even with you. How many know you can't get even and get ahead? If you think you're going to get even, you're not going to get ahead. Because if I'm walking along on my journey, and anytime you're making headway in life, there are always people that are behind you, they're usually behind you. There are haters and critics behind you, and they're kicking you in the rear end. And if I'm moving forward, and they're kicking me in the rear end, and I got to get even, what do I got to do? I got to take a few steps back. I got to sink down to their level of integrity. I got to stoop down to their debauchery. I got to come down to their character. I can't get even and get ahead. If you think getting even is fulfilling, success is way more rewarding than payback. Amen? Way more rewarding. Just do what God has called you to do. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> Wrath just doesn't add up. Wrath is bad math. It just doesn't calculate. I get even, and I got, in order to get even, I got to give up, at some degree, getting ahead. Watch out for this explosive anger. 
Paul warns, at some point, at some point, this anger can transition. Or let me say it this way. At some point, this anger can evolve from psychological to diabolical. He says it. In your wrath, you will give the devil a place. Now, I know you're thinking, well, I'm a born-again believer filled with the Spirit. You know, you can't, be, uh, you can't be a house for the Spirit of God and at the same time be a lodging for demons. There's no way you can be possessed and be a Christian. I get it. I agree. If you're a child of God, you are the temple of God. He's the owner of the house. His name is on the deed. He's the owner. Doesn't mean that Satan can't rent some space. How many have had him rent some space? He may not have ownership, but he's got tenancy. And if you're a landlord, you know that that tenant that drives you crazy, they may not own the house, but they act like they do. You get the wrong tenant in your house. I, I don't even argue whether or not Christians can be possessed. To me, it's irrelevant. The point is, he can rent some space, and if you give him an inch, he will take over the whole house. I don't argue possession, because oppression is bad enough. There can be a point where that anger is now not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling that you have. It becomes a diabolical power that has you. And it's right there in your vernacular when you apologize. Here's what you say after you blew it, after you did something you can't believe you did. You say, I don't know what possessed me. Uh, say it again. Oh, I don't, know, I don't know what got into me. Got into you? Well, how about this? I, I, I got carried away. Carried away? What exactly carried you away? Because you can get to a point where you get carried away, where that anger, you will do things and say things that contradict your character, go against your history. You will find yourself in a moment when a rage will let loose that you have no ability to manage. That's David's story. He said, oh, what got into me? He said, at some point, it wasn't me anymore. He says, I look, I, it's like I was transfixed. I look back at that man pulling the trigger, shooting 15 people. I look at him and I say, who is this person? We live in a culture, 15, 13 mass shootings a week in America. It, this is not uh, psychological anger anymore. This is diabolical. You want further evidence it's diabolical? If it was psychological, you'd be upset with that person who upset you, and you would hurt that one person. But when it's diabolical, Satan's mission is to destroy all mankind. When it's diabolical and you're angry, you hate everybody. Right? When it's that generalized, when it's, I, it's not that you can't stand the girl who messed up your order in Dunkin' Donuts. It's you go in, you to the Dunkin' Donuts, you lay into her, and then you get in the car, you lay into the wife, lay into the kids, and at the end of the day, you put your head on the pillow, hey, I can't stand everybody. Uh, what's going on here? Are we giving the devil a place? Because his target is everybody. Are you hearing me? 
Contrary to popular opinion, Eric Harris and Dylan Claybolt did not show up at Columbine to kill bullies. They showed up at Columbine to kill everybody. It was everyone. The journals said, kill all mankind. Thank God that the uh, propane tanks didn't detonate. They made bombs out of propane tanks in the cafeteria that would have took out over 100 people. Their mission was not to kill 10, 12 bullies. Their mission was to kill everyone because Satan's mission is to destroy everyone. And you can get to a point in that anger where it is not psychological. It is a foothold, a beachhead where Satan is taken over. And at the end of it, you say, I don't know what. All kidding aside, I don't know what got into me. David Berkowitz, when he was arrested, he had in the back seat of his car four or five weapons, automatic weapons, or semi-automatic, on his way to a disco in the Hamptons. He would have been, at that time, probably the first mass, or one of the first, I shouldn't say the first, there were a couple of others, would have been one of the earlier mass shootings. Got to a point where it wasn't just I hate this type of person, it was I, ho- I hate everyone. Now, I-, I believe there are people here today going back to the original point of this message and you're upset about some things, and that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. That's what I love about your pastor. He's real as it gets. If you're upset, you can handle it. And if you're, if, if, if you're upset with God, he can handle it. What are you going to do with it? Where are you going to go? We're going to stop pretending. Now, when you submit that anger to God, when you actually put it in his hands and say, God, I'm upset, and do you know what he can do with that anger when you submit it to him? You think his spirit pours out on all spirits? No, his spirit pours out on all flesh. He anoints the Spirit pours out on all flesh. You submit that anger to him. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. The word meek is not weak. Prows is the term the Romans used to describe their war horses. They would call the war horses meek. Why? An untrained horse easily irritated. You put a piece of orange paper in front of an untamed horse, that horse can do damage. It can hurt you. But a war horse, the same aggression, same energy, same passion, but the aggression is under the subjection and the direction of its rider. And when the master pulls the strap to the right, the horse moves to the right. When the master pulls the strap to the left, the horse moves to the left. God is looking for some war horses in this place this morning. I wish some people would get upset. I wish we would get upset about unborn babies. The euphemism is fetus. It's really life, life in the womb that is murdered. I wish somebody would get upset. Some people are not upset because they're sleeping. Inertia. I pray something would come along, as Isaac Newton said, and it would compel you. It would provoke you to action. 
There would be no headway in our society, no headway in the kingdom of God if there weren't any war horses. We need war horses in this final hour. But a war horse is submitted to him. If that's the imperative of this message, it's submission. The war horse says, God, I'm angry. I mean, David was real. If, if David prayed the prayers he prayed in the Psalms, the ushers would escort him out of most churches because he would sound too irreverent. May my enemy's infants be dashed against stone. Oh, it's in the Bible. Commentators, Dave, they don't know what to do with that statement because it's too emotional. So this is what they say. They say, when David said, my enemy's infants be dashed against stones, he was simply prophesying the destructions of the Assyrians. He was upset! Yeah, he, I'm sure he said it that way. May my enemies, infants. He was upset, but he was submitted to God. God, I'm upset, but I submit myself to you. And when you submit yourself to him, worship team, you can come up. When you're upset and you say, God, I'm upset. I'm going to finish with this last story, and I believe the communion table this morning is a chance for us to check ourselves. See what's going on under the hood. Before we take the body, the blood of Christ, before Pastor Dylan comes and leads us to the communion table, leads us to the cross, we're going to examine ourselves. I'll finish with this last story that Pastor Dylan, you can come. Roland Hayes was a gospel singer in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. Grew up in Curryville, Georgia. He was the son of a pastor, African-American. Somehow, by divine design, he was invited to open at a Beethoven concert in Berlin, Germany in 1943. Did you hear that? African-American singing in Berlin, Germany, Beethoven concert. 1940s. Who's in the crowd, you think? He steps on the stage. As soon as he steps on the stage, the crowd goes wild. They're hurling insults, swearing, calling them names. He said he got so upset. He stopped. Right away, fight, flight kicked in. I either want to lash out or I want to get out of here. God told him, be still. He said, Lord, I'm upset right now. I submit myself to you. All this is going on in his head. As they're hollering, at some point there was an opening. At some point there was a few seconds of silence. He submitted himself to God, and when that opening came, he said that he opened his mouth and he started singing with a power. It was like God kissed his vocal cords. He started singing with a power that he had never sung with before. The power was so heavy on him that when he was done singing, the entire crowd of Nazis was silent for almost 10 minutes. God will subdue a mob on your behalf. Not arrogantly, but graciously, he bowed. He walked off the stage. That's a war horse. I believe there are war horses in the sanctuary. What are you going to do with the anger? 
What are you going to do? Because to get angry is human. It's human. It's okay. But to manage it and say, God, here I am. I give you this anger. Father, I pray right now as we approach this communion table, search our hearts. Lord, those of us that have been depressed for a while, we don't know what to do with these feelings, how to even articulate them. We've been shamed for being angry. I pray today, Lord, that there be a permission. There be an expression before you. Prayer would become a detox for the soul. Honest prayer. No more cute prayers. No more spiritual-sounding prayers. Gut-wrenching prayers. God, I'm upset. My dad abandoned me. I'm upset, Lord. Life hasn't turned out the way I envisioned it. I pray for a little talk with Jesus this morning before you approach the communion table. God is asking the question. He asked Cain, why are you so angry? Help us today, we pray. Search our hearts. Search my heart. Some of you are going to find out that underneath that anger is a lot of shame. Others, it's fear. A lot of fear. There's a scared little girl behind all that anger. Other people, is guilt. You feel so full of guilt. Mistakes you've made, and you're lashing out because you feel guilty. Insecurity. I don't know what it is, but God's asking you, why are you so angry? Quit ignoring it. We're done pretending. I'm done playing church. I've done with that. I've been done with that for about 20 years. I did that the first five years of salvation, and I realized I can't pretend too long. Eventually, I come out. And I'm kind of a rascal, so I end up saying something, and then it doesn't really fit the persona I put out there. And I'm done playing. I'm done. I'm upset. I'm going to tell you, you upset me. I might even get a little loud. It'd be better for me to tell you this. Open rebuke, better. Me harbor all this stuff inside of me. I pray, Father, for an honesty in this atmosphere. An open heaven. But open our hearts before heaven opens. In Jesus' name, amen. As Dr. Caparelli was speaking, I thought of a saying that we've all heard, you have to bring your real self, not your ideal self, to God. We don't get to play pretend when we come to God, even if we can play pretend with each other. And so today, as we enter in communion, if you didn't receive one, you can just keep your hand in the air. Ushers will get them to you. Maybe your ideal isn't here today, <laughs> and I hope it's not. Thank God if it's not. You know, as a lot of you guys know, I love to read. One of my favorite books is The Great Gatsby, because there's a guy who can't be honest with himself or anyone else. And the writer of The Great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald, said this, and he said this in the context of alcoholism, but this is true of every habit-forming thing, action, or emotion you'll, you'll experience in life. He said this, First, you take a drink. Second, the drink takes a drink. 
Third, the drink takes you. And some of you have been taken by anger, wrath, sin of all strokes, and sin has gone from an emotion to a trait. It seems like it's part of you instead of something that you fight. And you're not sure what to do with it. Communion is the place where we get the message over and over and over that God saw you in your helpless estate and refused to leave you there, but chose to send His Son from heaven to redeem you from what was too powerful for you to raise you up to new life. But something's got to die. Communion. We learn from Romans chapter 6, you must die with Him if you're going to live with Him. And that requires the real you, the angry you, the drug-addicted you, the sexually-addicted you, the gambling-addicted you, the unkind you. That requires you to be actually you when you come to what we call the table. And what I hope you know in this moment is just like in worship, God's presence shows up in a way He's not present at other times. Here, when we remember His body and blood, Jesus takes notice. And He sees those who, like 1 Corinthians 11 says, are real with Him. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 before he does this whole thing. There must be divisions among you so that those who are genuine might be recognized. Do you hear that? Is there's fights in your life? There's irritations in your life that are making you angry? They have to be there so that those who are genuine can be recognized. You got to be real, not ideal. You have to bring your real self to God. To receive real forgiveness. And it's not easy. I go to a recovery group every single Monday night, me and a bunch of men, because I got to bring my real, not my ideal. Maybe it shocks you to know the guy with the microphone has an addiction. I fight it daily, like the Apostle Paul says, I die daily so that Christ might live in me. And if you want Christ to live in you, bring your real, not your ideal. And so I just want us to take this body, and I want us to remember that we didn't get a whole Savior, we had a broken Savior. That you didn't have a pretty Savior, Isaiah 53 says he was so scarred and beyond human semblance, nobody would have looked at him with admiration. If nobody's looking at the Lord of heaven and earth with admiration, why do you want to be looked at with it? You can be real with God. And so, Father, we thank you for your son's body broken for us. We pray that as you broke him and you healed him, so in our breaking, Heal us, God. As parts of us die, I pray even better parts of us would come to life. 
I pray that we would experience the resurrection power of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Let's take this together. And as we take the blood, I'd like you to stand. As we sang this morning, I pray that that song would fill your heart throughout the week. That in the same way his blood ran red, your sins will be washed white. I don't want something that I bleached in God's presence. I want a robe that he makes for me. Whenever I sin, I go to the book of Zechariah, where Satan accuses the high priest, Joshua, and says, look at his dirty turban, look at his clothes. This man isn't fit to serve you. And how much more can I say that as a pastor? I'm like, I'm not, I blew it. But the angel of the Lord doesn't even address Satan. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. It's a petition for the Lord to take care of what he can't take care of. God can take care of what you can't. And he does it by the power of his blood. So take that blood for your cleansing today as you look to Jesus in faith. Father, thank you that you've redeemed us. God, we worship you now. And we worship you as we are, not as we wish we were in expectation that one day you will raise up our lowly bodies to be like your glorious body. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Nothing stays the same. Heaven is awaiting for the mention of the name. The Spirit is moving, burning like a flame. Healing the broken by the one we proclaim. Chains will fall, mountains move, we lift them high. Speak the name, the name above all other names. Speak the name, the name the wind and waves obey. All of heaven's coming down, fill the Gather all who wander, hostages of shame, miracles unfolding at the mention of the name. Our darkness is fleeing, mercy raining down, healing waters flowing as our lips make the sound. Now. 
Father, thank you that you said in your word in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more will you not now, along with him, give us all things? And so, God, I pray that this week, that the layers would come back, that we would be able to put our finger on things, and that you would be the healing balm that's right there that you would be the one who's ready to bind up the brokenhearted. God, I pray that you wouldn't leave us as orphans, but that you would send us out in the power of the Spirit, that we would be bound up by something that is greater than us, God. The same way our anger, our sin, our things have been dominating, I pray that you would place them under us, God. Like you said at the end of Romans, you will place Satan under our feet. I pray that you would crush under our feet what needs to be crushed and that you would help us to have self-control in all things. We ask for this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. You're free to continue to worship. Be respectful of those continuing to worship. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.